As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, August 18th. I'm Robert Mays. Great show for you guys today. Our Bengals writer, one of our Bengals writers at The Athletic, Paul Diener Jr., is going to be joining us a little bit later. I am recording this from a room in the bowels of Paul Brown Stadium as I continue heading around to different camps around the country. I had a really good visit in Cincinnati today. Really enjoyed the chat with Paul. I think you guys will as well. Before we get to that, though, I am very excited to welcome from ESPN, Dan Orlovsky. Dan, how you doing, bud? I am great. I, I would imagine that once your listeners started to hear you say from ESPN, they were hoping it was Mina Kimes. Uh, <laughs> so I, I apologize that I am not her, but uh, I'm doing good, man. Super fired up to be with you, dude. I, I'm really excited about this. We're going to have Mina on at some point over the next few <laughs> weeks as we continue our preview content. So people looking for Mina will get her eventually. I really wanted to do this show with you, and, and I wanted to do it for a bunch of different reasons. There's so many teams around the NFL based on the ways they spent this offseason and how aggressive they were that the last question for those teams is, can the quarterback get better? The quarterback is kind of the last piece. We kind of has conceded that Jalen Hurts, Tua, Zach Wilson, well, if those guys take a step, then what can those teams be? So what I wanted to talk about is, what does that look like? What does those guys actually taking a step actually mean? Where do we need to see them get better? And as the only friend I have who played quarterback in the NFL for several years, I figured you might be the person to talk about this with. Um, I think the topic is awesome. I think it's super interesting. It's a great point as well, because a lot of us sit there and go, if this guy plays well, you know, so and the only way they can play well is the people around them. So um yeah i am i'm fired up to dive in because i obviously relatively opinionated in on all four guys <laughs> i have four guys i wanted to talk about it was yeah. tua jaylen hurts zach wilson and trevor lawrence and the reason i settled on this group is that these teams were super aggressive this offseason if you look at cash spending in the league the jets were fourth the jags were fifth they want to win right now you know, there are yeah. other young quarterbacks that need to get better but their teams aren't on this timeline justin fields doesn't count for this davis mills doesn't these teams want to win in the moment the dolphins were aggressive the eagles were aggressive so that's why i settled on these four guys and, and let's start with tua 
And there's so many different questions about what he needs to do, what this Dolphins offense is even going to look like. When you look back and you see what he was within their previous offensive structure, where do you think some of the major faults in his game were from last year? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the inability and the unwillingness to be aggressive with the ball down the field. And that was a little bit of his owned bearing and a little bit of or, or probably more so um they don't have they didn't have the people to do it both up front and the receivers on the outside. You know, the big thing that I've talked about with two of this offseason Robert is okay, so you know, Jalen Waddle, it's year 2, great. And then they obviously make the move for Tyreek and everybody is expecting him to play in a way that Patrick has in many ways. Like just let's just throw the ball deep every play cuz now that you have a guy to do that. And I have been steadfast with Tua, you know, really since he came into the league, but even more so this year is just because you have more talented players and more speed around you on the outside, dude, do not try to become somebody that you are not. You know, you aren't the big play Justin Herbert chuck the ball downfield quarterback. You are the Drew Brees play point guard, distribute the football and and play in that way and be precise and I think that's the the thing that I will watch to the most this year is, okay, we know that you need to throw the ball downfield more. Absolutely. Every quarterback needs that. We know that you need to do it more, but do you become obsessed with it? You know, like Robert, I remember there was a little bit of this narrative with Lamar last off season, you know, like they got to throw the ball more downfield to the outside. And I thought Lamar for a stretch last year almost got drunk on that a little bit. Like, dude, it was bombs away too much for yeah. Baltimore offense, you know, where it was just like, we're going to throw a ball deep every play. And I think there's that. And outside fine, the numbers. Yes. And I think there's just that fine line for Tua to learn. Um, all right. Yeah. These, you know, Mike McDaniel called a shot, you know, and it's there or it isn't and, and not forcing the issue because of the narrative on the outside. How do you see, if you're trying to deploy Waddle and Tyreek in the best way, how do you yeah. see the pieces fitting together? Like, do you see both of them being able to create space as guys that are lifting the top off and then the other guy coming underneath? Like, how do their roles sift out? Because they are a little bit samey to the yeah. outside kind of looking in. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing is I don't, I very rarely have those guys, you know, kind of on the outside soloed up. They aren't, you know, your traditional, I guess, Mike Evans, um, your Julio Jones, where you just put them, your your Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Hey, man, you're the X receiver solo by yourself. You're one-on-one go win. I think they are more of your, your pieces that you move around, condensed splits, reduced splits, because, and that's not a knock on them as players, but, you know, for everyone listening, and you know this, like when you cut those splits down and get them closer to the offensive tackle, you know, one of the benefits of it is you don't get hands on guys often at the line of scrimmage there. So then the speed that they do have is utilized more so, you know, that the quickness and the twitchiness that they do have is utilized more so. So I, I really do believe that, that you can use both of those guys, Waddle and Tyreek, if you're Mike McDaniel, the same way you did use Debo. I don't think you're handing the ball off to them that much in the backfield, but you are moving them around both in formation and pre-step motion. And it, it it is one of those things. You remember how the Vikings used to use Percy Harvin? Hey, man, we, we want to get him the ball 10 or 12 times a game. I don't care how we get him the ball. Um, it's 
Sometimes we're going to call pass plays for them, and it's just straight drop back designed routes. Sometimes it's going to be jet sweep motions or or um, backfield handoffs. Sometimes it's going to be perimeter screens. Sometimes it's going to be utilization in the RPO game, you know, with inside routes. So I, I really believe that you can use the, both those guys the same way. Um, you know, I think the more for me, the more interesting part is how they use those two cats in relation to Mike. You know, Gesicki, their tight end, who is a really good player, you know, because I think he's one of be one of those guys that affects coverage. Um, also that you can really utilize the underneath pass game because of him to those two players. Yeah, it's interesting just thinking about the snaps and the alignments because Cedric Wilson, I want to say, had the highest slot snap rate in the league last season. It was like 97% of his snaps he spent inside. Tyreek spent less time in the slot last year than he had in years past. He can play inside out. We know that. So just where they think the best alignments are for all of those guys and the roles those three guys will play, that's really interesting to me because it doesn't as I think about it, it doesn't instantly become clear based on the way those guys have been used in the past and what we've seen from Mike McDaniel in the past. Yeah. And I think part of it too is, is the reality of they are in some positionless, you know, and when you're positionless, you kind of have an infinite way that you can be used, you know, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, and it's very much school, old school, new England philosophy when it comes to those players I think that we saw Mike do that a lot in San Francisco, and there's a beauty in that. I guarantee you they are going to come out week one, break the huddle, and you're going to see both those guys lined up in the backfield. You know, and just imagine if you're a defensive guy and going, okay, (laughs) lined up in the backfield, and all of a sudden one of them motions out. You know, uh, now they're both lined up in the backfield at the same spot and one goes opposite. So just how does that kick your coverage, force communication? Are you in zone, man? Are we creating matchups versus a bat? You know, I just think that the the flexibility is what's going to be the beauty in Miami. So you mentioned Drew Brees' name, and I think that's really interesting. Tua is was better as a deep passer in the limit opportunities he got last year than I give him credit for. Sure. I'm looking at the numbers right now. He had the highest adjusted completion percentage on deep balls in the NFL last year, according to PFF. Whether that sticks as he attempts more of them, we'll see. I'm wondering if you have a guy like Drew Brees or like Tua who doesn't necessarily have that big cannon-like arm. The Saints did such a good job of creating explosive plays with Drew Brees, especially early in Sean Payton's tenure. How do you intentionally and consciously create explosives for a quarterback who doesn't have Patrick Mahomes' arm? Yeah, so I think there's two ways to create explosive plays or have explosive plays in the NFL. You have a freakazoid or play-action pass. You know, you can create, you know, explosive plays when you say, hey, Devontae, you know, go win on a go route. Great, because I can throw that go route any way I want, and he's just so good. I'm, I'm in Cincinnati right now and talking to their coaches about Jamar last year. And just every yeah. single time they got single high, Joe took it. And he's like, yeah. why wouldn't he? You know, exactly. You know, yeah. like as long as you know the type of throw to make in the in the certain situations coverage. So and and I don't I don't want to I don't know if you know Tyreek is gonna be the guy that's hey man, just go run a go route, you know. So I think it is gonna be the um, and this is how New Orleans did it. It was the hardball play action pass that created those chunks. And those chunks, the reality, Robert, you know this, they were like 12 to 15 yard throws that became 25 to 35 yard gains because yeah. 
you know, when, when I have that 12 or 15 yard throw that is based upon the illusion of the run and I get that crossing route or that deep void, vacated void route, if my quarterback throws it on the right time to the right spot at the right moment, that 12 or 15 yard throw, because I'm hitting that guy in a vacated void on the run becomes a 20 to 25, 30 yard completion. And so, yeah, I, I think that the simplistic, simplistic answer is getting the defense to play run when you've created that, you know, when you've called the pass and Tua's got to, and that's the fundamental part of this offense is like that ball has got to be out at the right moment, hit perfectly in stride um, to where those guys can go do something with it afterwards. I'm, I'm wondering about this because, again, the kind of conversations I've had since I've been here today talking to defensive coaches and a lot of defenses around the league right now are dropping that backside safety into those big crossing routes, mm -hmm. and the ones that you've seen Tyreek Hill hit a million different times. What happens when you have two guys that you have to account for that in the way that the Dolphins do? Structurally, what? how do defenses fail to account for that in a way that Miami might be able to take advantage of? Because when I think about explosive plays on this team, I'm thinking about those deep crossing routes. I'm thinking about crossers sure. in general because you're not asking Tua to push the ball 30 yards down the field. Yeah, I think it's two ways. It's a great question. Uh, one, you know, the leverage that the defense is going to have to play. Because a lot of times when you're dropping that safety down to where that crossing route is coming to, the guy that's playing him is playing some form of an outside leverage, right? You're yeah. forcing that guy or you're allowing that guy to go to coverage. Well, you, you're not going to be able to play outside leverage all the time because – you could have a guy like Jalen opposite or Tyreek might be opposite Jalen and he's going to be running away from the leverage that you want to be playing. Um, I thought, I also think it's, it's making sure that you have. So, you know, the, again, this is why I think this question is phenomenal. When, when you, you get these crossers, oftentimes you're trying to get the defense to flow horizontally one way and replace where they just came from with that crosser. The same thought could be making sure if you're Mike McDaniel that you have a lot of past concepts that are built into that initial stem of the cross coming back to where you came from as the receiver. Yeah. So again, that's great. If I'm on the slot to the right and you're dropping the safety down to the boundary, you know, we call it a chase route often is, you know, you, you start to bring this deep cross stem as a receiver over. And then all of a sudden as a defense, you're going, here we come, we drop in. And I go back where I came from high. Um, I, I think the the more that Mike can do that, that's really going to force defenses to to be in a guess game leverage wise. And to me, the, the important part of this is that they didn't get a ton better along the offensive line, but they might have gotten enough better to take advantage of some of this sure. stuff because everything we're talking about, think about the arm motions that we've been making as we've been having this conversation. Yeah. This stuff takes this stuff takes a while. Because even yeah. with guys that are as fast as both of them are, you still have to get all the way across the field. And that's the best way to take advantage of a defense with that kind of speed. But you still need time for those plays to develop. And hopefully with Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, the improvements they've made there, they're able to kind of function in that world. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that's something that probably doesn't get talked enough about when it comes to the quarterbacks and the marriage of this system and helping the offensive line which I think will be a strength for Tua is the ball handling, you know, like Tua is a really good play fake 
ball handling quarterback, right? It's all those RPOs, man. He's used to it. Exactly. You know, and, and that's a big part of it. And, and, um, you know, again, I grew up in this world where Gary Kubiak was so, and, and the late Greg Knapp was so, and Kyle Shanahan, you know, you never really understood how important the look of that fake was. So not only is Tua really good at that stuff, but it's also going to help those guys get downfield. It also helps the offensive linemen. You know, if you think if you're a defensive lineman, you're you know, kind of reading and that stretches away from you or that ball fakes away from you. And I'm like, yo, I got no idea where the ball is. It slows you. It does. It, you, you, you play as a hesitant defensive lineman. And I think that will be something that, um, you know, probably is going to be a huge benefit for Tua. He's not a runner. You know, Tua is not running around in the same way some of these other mobile quarterbacks are, but he's very twitchy. Way, that, that way he can kind of snap back. I've, I've always noticed that about him, and I think that's a great point. The way that you're talking about this, how bullish are you about him in this offense? Are, do you feel like this is going to go well? I do. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I think that you're looking at, you know, 25 touchdown plus 4,000-yard performance by Tua. I, I often say this. You know, I think that we are in a point where coaches are so smart and, and players are so smart. We shouldn't sit in here and go, what kind of fit is this? Dude, it's the NFL. You should thrive in situations. And I just believe this is a situation with the the talent that they have, the type of talent that they have in the quarterback um, skill set. You know, Tua, again, is best at like, let's get the ball out and distribute it and be accurate and, and I'll pick you apart. You know, and marrying that with Mike McDaniel and his philosophy of how he uses different pieces, you know, one of 11 – I think that it's hard for Tua to play poorly. I really do. I, I think that Tua should be in a place where he is thriving this year, um, you know, and kind of, you know, is allowed to flourish talent-wise. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, let's get to Jalen Hurts. In your mind, where does Jalen Hurts need to be better this year than he was last year? Um, you know, definitely number one, you know, the ability to create the big play in the pass game um, with the strength of his arm downfield, and then number two, uh, you know, like w- third and seven, number one and number two are dead. Are you going to hang in and throw a 14-yard in route versus tight man coverage on someone's face mask? You know, can, can you be capable of doing that? And and it's got to be driven. You know, like you got to drive the ball because there is a very small window. 
And I think that is the huge question mark where this team can potentially go because they're loaded. I think that I've said this, I, I think it's one of the, if not the toughest offenses in the league to tackle. You know, everybody had on their team offensively is it and Jalen, including <laughs> is a tough tackle, but um, you know, I, I, my big concern with Jalen is like, he just doesn't have a huge powerful arm. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit of like the, 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 I don't want, you know, kind of like the floating of the ball where you're like, get there, ball, get there. And, and, you know, I want to see that go to the next level for him. I, I was there last week and, and talking to some people there just about what they need to see from him. I think it's just quick, quicker, quicker. Cause sure. his time to throw is very long. That's a little bit deceiving just because he's moving around so much. But when you watch mm-hmm. him play, they used this formation all the time last year where they would have trips to the left side and they would have Goddard as an inline tight end to the right side. And it makes sense, right? You're two things. You're giving him a matchup, hopefully on that side of the field with Goddard. And that he has all that space to work outside. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the ways, the places that Jalen hurts through the ball last season, outside the numbers to his right consistently, that's where he wanted to go. Cause it's the easiest place to go. But mm-hmm. when those weren't there, he didn't have that first option to his right outside he struggled to get to other routes within the progression. And I mm-hmm. think that him kind of locking on to that stuff has been a consistent problem or was in the past. Can he get one to two to run faster consistently? And I think if he does that and more of those routes are in play within a given structure, within a given route combination, you're going to see him attack the middle of the field more. You're going to see that those numbers go down. And I think that that just quickness – and being able to move through that stuff a little faster is definitely the number one priority based on the conversations I had. Yeah. And I'd agree. And I would even say this, it's not just like the mental development of it. I would say for a guy that's just such a bonkers athlete, he's not that twitchy, you know, as a, he, yeah, he's a little, yeah, no, he's not. It's a little you know, long. Yeah. Correct. But physically he's a, he's not that twitchy. And so like, I'll contrast it to Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Like Joe is a thrower is twitchy, you know, like the, the, like I, I, it's almost like, you know, watching, watching the dude throw a punch. It's like, bang, it happens so quickly. You know, these boxers, it's like Floyd Mayweather throwing a punch. You know, Jalen's not that type of physical athlete and and physical quarterback where, you know, number one's not there. And that, that number two, not only physically, mentally he gets there quickly, but it's that snap pop that ball comes out of my hand so quickly. Um, So yeah, I think it's, it, there's definitely that growth. I also like say this, when you come to that solo formation trips and got her by himself, there's also a reality. And this is a little bit the two of conversation, like that's, maybe that's just not him as a player also. So, you know, if you want him to be, be that for sure, but those formations are built to, for him to have clarity. Hey dude, it's you, you've got single high safety zone. We're going one to two, you know, yeah. and get the ball out. And that there's a, there's a beauty to that as well. I think they live in the RPO world again, you know, um, offensively because their offensive line is so violent and physical and athletic. Um, but yeah, it, it, there, it's a huge opportunity for him to show that development. I'm wondering in what ways they can use AJ Brown, right? Like, because I can't imagine two players more dissimilar in terms of where they thrive or even where they existed last year than Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown. Just mm-hmm. you can imagine it in your mind. 
Think about all of the strikes and glance routes and in-breaking stuff we've seen from A.J. Brown over the last two years. No one in the NFL threw the ball less frequently over the middle of the field last year than Jalen Hurts. Sure. So what does that look like? How do they create those opportunities for him? Because based on what they said, it's not like he's uncomfortable throwing the ball there. It's not like that area of the field is off limits to them because of size in the way that it is with some of these other guys like Baker Mayfield or Russell Wilson. So what is it? Why haven't they attacked that area of the field? And is A.J. Brown the answer to that? That's a huge question for me. I think A.J. is the answer to it. The two ways that I think they do it are, so like Philadelphia last year didn't have, I I think there's different kinds of play action, right? And there's bootleg and then there's play action. Philadelphia was more movement-based, bootleg-based, or, um, you know, like the play action that was, again, trying to get a horizontal movement out of the defense. Really to take some of those glances or wrap routes or the quick hitting in route in the play action world, you need a vertical, you know, conflict. And Philadelphia really doesn't have much of a downhill ball faking offense. And I think, you know, Tennessee does. Tennessee with, you know, Arthur Smith certainly did with Todd Downing certainly did. So you, 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 they've got to have run game within their offense. That is a downhill hitter. And again, this is why these conversations are so cool. Philadelphia's offensive line is a side to side offensive line because they are so athletic. You know, because yeah, of the, the center, yeah, all those pin pull, all the the ways that he can move, it's just a little bit different. That's a really good point. For sure. And because of the zone read too. And so yeah. to create some of that stuff for AJ, they've got to implement in, that into the offense. Some of that downhill, we are coming right at you, linebacker safety, step up two steps to fill this gap, back foot in the ground, fox step, here comes that in route. Because that's what AJ does. That's what Julio did. Um it, it's in this system, you know, it's, it, and they got to implement that a little bit. And then I think the RPO game. Yeah. I, I, I do believe that the, the RPO game and him being that guy that, Hey, we're running slant. We're running a slant from the slot and we are reading this backside defender, you know, and in the simplicity of that, there's beauty in it. How do you get comfortable just mentally sorting through the traffic in that area of the field like it's just so much easier to say i have this one-on-one out here i'm going out here if it's not there i'm going to take off how do you start to get comfortable with all of those bodies and that junk in there yeah i think the the way i was taught was you see everything by seeing nothing you know a lot of times young quarterbacks you, you know hey the you know curl flat we're reading the flat defender you know or the sale route we are reading the flat defender You know, and I think when you're thrown over the middle of the field, you're just trying to see color more than person. You know, you're trying to see a a window um, more than an individual guy. And I think the more that quarterback get comfortable, you know, that's the, the difference between throwing a guy open inside is significantly higher than throwing a guy open on the outside. You know, when I throw a guy open on the outside, if it's incomplete, it's going out of bounds more often than not, right? You're just, when you throw a guy open on the inside, if it's incomplete, there's safeties back there waiting for it, you know, and or or there's a linebacker hand that's getting popped up that tips the ball up. So it's really like getting the reps of knowing, uh, you know, seeing blurs of color um, and not focusing on a single guy, but really seeing an area 
you know, more so than a defender, that's where I think quarterbacks, young quarterbacks get more comfortable throwing over the middle of the field. That's really interesting because my understanding is when you're working through pure progression reads that aren't necessarily coverage beaters, you're looking for windows. And I heard that that's they're hoping, I think offenses around the league period are going to be doing more of that pure progression stuff because it's harder to understand what the coverages are because everyone's playing those shells where it's a little bit murkier at the beginning. Yep. So if that, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like finding those windows is going to be important for them and more important for them on more level than one. Yeah. And I'll tell you this too, to take you to the next level is when you are calling these full progression reads, you get to windows faster. And I think Mac Jones does this as good as any young quarterback I've seen when you start to cancel out some of those progressions pre-snap. As if, yeah. I know it's a full progression read coach and it's one to two to three, but I know one is going to be dead. So, you know, I, I, you know, now it's I'm opening number two by putting my eyes or my body in a situation, even though I know number one is not going to be getting the ball. So, yeah, I, I, it's 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 something that it just and that's part of like the young quarterbacks that are coming into the league nowadays, man, is like they don't necessarily run a ton of this stuff growing up because it is such a matchup based game right now, such an RPO based zone read game right now. Like I didn't grow up in that world. I grew up in the progression, the, the full progression world. I grew up in knowing if it's one high or two high, man or zone, and and that was going to take me. And so, quarterbacks they just need more reps at, at at it this year to really understand, or nowadays to really understand how hard it is. All right, let's get to Zach Wilson, who obviously he has a little bit of a barrier here because he's not going to be playing the rest of the preseason. We don't know when he's going to be back, but I still think sure. that he's pretty central to this conversation. Where do you need to see? the biggest steps from Zach Wilson heading into year two. Yeah. Number one, dude, hit your layups. And that's what ticks me off about his game the other night, the the first throw of the game, hit your layups. And I remember again, talking about Lamar going year one to year two is like, hit your layups. I think number two is, um, you know, I'll, I'll go back to number one. There were so many times last year where Zach had a guy wide open three, four, five yards from the line of scrimmage. And you, you've you heard the saying, pull the string, guide the football, aiming it. And you're like, dude, how do you miss that throw? You know, like there's no way that that shallow cross should be so off target. And again, I'll go to the first pass the other night, Garrett Wilson, butt naked, wide open. It's cover three. There's no concern about a flat defender. And the ball's not even close. So hit the easy throws. I think the second thing, and this is really the big step, is – this offense, and we've talked about this offense a lot because they're growing so much in the league nowadays, that Mike LaFour runs from Matt LaFour, Kyle Shannon. This offense is best when the quarterback allows the play caller to star. Yeah. You know, and that's hard for talented guys. You know, this offense is best when the quarterback just allows the play caller to be the star. And Zach is such a physically talented kid that you sometimes like, oh, I got to make these throws. No, you don't, dude. If, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the perfect example of this. He's back-to-back MVP of the league. I don't think any quarterback has thrown the ball at or behind the line of scrimmage more in the last two years than Aaron, you know, MVP of the NFL. So I think Zach's got to learn that that, that um, you don't have to be the star in this scheme. Um, yeah, everything's got to happen faster. Um, but I, I would say those are the two big areas for me. I, this is another one where it just feels like the help that's potentially coming is going to be so important for them. His numbers last year against man coverage were absolutely abysmal. 
and yep. teams were incredibly comfortable playing it because who are they afraid of? Yep. Nobody. Yep. Uh, they have so many guys missing time, and he, he's down to fourth and fifth string receivers by the end of the year, and, and that just seems like one of those places that you can really help a quarterback. If my the receiving talent I have, I'm forcing them out of certain looks in certain situations. I'm making sure that I'm opening up versions of my offense that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. And, and, and not only that is the size of those people, you know, I'm not being a jerk, but like some his receivers last year were little guys for the most part, you know, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, guys that are smaller in frame. When you're throwing against man coverage to guys that are smaller, it's, it's a, it's a very intimidating thing. And when you're, when you're seeing so much man coverage, it really comes down to like this, Robert, like number one, am I, do I create winners as a play caller? Like, am I giving guys winners that make it easier? Number two, are they physically talented enough to go win in that coverage enter a Garrett Wilson? And then number three, my ball placement's got to be premier because you know, wide open in the NFL versus man coverage is the guy on my back hit. Hey, that guy's wide open, you know? So the, the ball placement and that goes back to and i think zach does this is um you know i I often say you know baker did this two years ago like see it trust it rip it dude like see it trust it and rip it and i don't see i didn't see that last year with zach where you just see it trust it. i'm ripping this ball you know and there's you know justin herbert's probably the best example of this as a young quarterback that dude does not hesitate he is ripping the football and he's trusting his eyes. And I think Zach's got to get to that point. Part of it is the talent around him where he trusts what his eyes see. And we, we the physical talent of the arm, then that's when it starts to take over. What do you think they did well in terms of creating space for those guys last year, even with the limited talent? Do you feel like Michael Floyd did it? How would you rate just the job he did overall and kind of making the game easier on his quarterback as a rookie? Yeah, I think he did a better job than the numbers present themselves um, because of some of those easy misses that Zach had. I also would tell you that I think he got a lot better in that last third of the season once Zach went down and missed some time and then came back healthy. Um, you know, it's it's hard to be really good as a play caller when your skill position is limited and your offensive line isn't great and your quarterback hasn't played a ton and he's coming off injury and you know, you build in, you know, just think about it. If you're Michael Floor and you build in some of these winners or you build in some of these easy throws and your quarterback's not hitting them, then you're just like, it's deflating, right? You're like, what do I have to do to get us a four yard completion? So I think he did a pretty good job of starting to marry run and pass concepts. I think he did a pretty good job of understanding some of the stuff that Zach, you know, was, wasn't capable of doing last year. Um, but having the infusion of talent and the infusion of size, I think is going to have a tremendous imp- I think that Mike's going to use Garrett a lot like his brother in Green Bay uses Devante because I think they're very similar players. Um, I, I expect the Jets to live in multiple tight end packages. I would. Um, but I, I, it's a big year for both of those guys to really go um, side by side, step by step together. I'm looking at the numbers right now. He took 25 sacks last year against man coverage. No one else in the NFL took more than 18. He had a 16.8% snap rate or sack rate when facing man coverage last season. Yeah. That just feels like a clock thing, right? Yeah. I mean, just hanging onto the ball in those situations because no one's open. And I just don't know how that gets solved outside of having better players. 
Totally. It's it's a little bit like the conversation that we will have that you will hear this about Justin Fields this year. Yeah, I know I will. Held on, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Daily. Um, held on to the ball too long. Of course, no human is open. You know. Um. So I I think that the the I'd also say this, and again, this will be a point that I make about Chicago a little bit. You know, you have got to um, as a play caller kind of be obsessed with first down, second down, first down, overly aggressive, because when you get to third and four or third and five, you're like, Oh, you know, like Robert 20 years ago, dude, for me, when I was growing up in the NFL, it was like, let's just third manageable. Yeah. Third and two and third and three. And it's like, that sounds good. You know, cause we had Andre Johnson in Houston and we had Calvin Johnson in Detroit, or we had Reggie Wayne and Pierre Garcon in Indy. That sounds great. But when we don't have guys that that corner is going, so I, I think that for Mike and for this offense, I, even with the infusion of talent, the more that they live in that first down, second down, first down mindset with the aggression play call wise, that doesn't mean we're bombs away all the time, but the aggression of play call wise, I think that also helps the reality of the man coverage situations. And he was also blitzed a ton last year. I think it was the sixth highest rate in the league. And you stay out of those third downs, you stay out of teams bringing pressure and playing man coverage against you when you struggled in it last year. For sure. I I wanted to ask you this because uh, talking to people here today about Burrow, uh, one of their coaches said something really interesting, this idea that he is he's so good against the blitz because he has such a good understanding of where all 11 guys are and why they're there. In the same way that Peyton Manning would, or these really, really good quarterbacks. Do you think that some guys just have that where it just doesn't matter how much you study, but you just have a sense for how all the pieces fit together on the back end? Absolutely. I think part of it is because of the upbringing of in the football world that he had. I think part of it is, you know, how much, you know, when he was at LSU, it was live in the empty world. Well, when you live in empty, you better be freaking dialed with your protections champ, because you know, that ball is going to come out to come out quickly and, you can really start to see how leverage, lean, and rotation impact where people can or can't come from. And you start to understand, and, you know, football is a simple game that we over overcomplicate, you know, and we are, it, it's math. And I think Joe does a great job of understanding the math of football is, you know, what you only got 11, so there, there's got to be pieces that are are connected. I also think one of the things that, and young quarterbacks struggle with this. We all did, and a lot of them do. Joe has this beauty with knowing, all right, you blitzed me. Cool. I will just throw the ball right there for one yard because you're not blitzing me to have a one-yard completion come out of my hand. You're blitzing me to create a bad play. You know, and I think the Joe has got that that um, that that kind of like um, – I don't want to call it selflessness, but – you know, I used to have this coach say, sometimes the bear eats, you know, and sometimes Joe just has this great ability to tip his cap at the defense and go, all right, you, you got that one. I, I'm not going to give you a bad play, but you got that one. And I know that you'll bring it again. And when you do, um, I'll figure out a way to gut you for it. I think there are two schools of thought about how much to put on a quarterback's plate as it relates to protections. There are some teams, a lot of the Kubiak Shannon teams are like this, honestly, now where we're taking it all off the quarterback. Like yep. he's not, he doesn't have a lot of autonomy at the line. He talked about it. The, the quarter, the play caller is playing the position in a lot of ways. Yep. Do you think that doing it that way 
can stunt the growth of your quarterback in other areas because it kind of feels like that way to me. Like Baker Mayfield's lack of control and ownership at the line of scrimmage, or even guy like Kirk Cousins who hadn't didn't have a ton of it over the last few years within that offense. I almost feel like you're putting your quarterback in a bind and in a box that ultimately may hinder him in the long run. I don't know how you feel about that. Absolutely. Another great question or, or point. So th- this this will take me down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So one of the beauties of play action pass based offenses is as a quarterback, I don't really need to know the coverage. I'm turning my back to the defense anyway, so it potentially is going to change. And play action passes are more often than not progression based. One to two to three, dude. One to two to three. One to two to three. And so, like, you can take mental breathers, so to speaking, at some times. Um, so that does stunt that a little bit or hinder that development of, like, oh, I've got an under front and the safety's down strong side. That means that more than likely a same strong safety pressure could potentially happen with the trap over the top and a dropping end. Am I protected? You know, we're, we're play action pass, especially in some of these schemes. It's like, well, that's not the quarterback's responsibility. Tailback, you've got to see that rotation or tight end, you know. Um, I also think it's, it's again, going back to how offenses are nowadays in youth football, high school football, and college football is they're not getting taught that much. And, and, and dude, I, I just put a, uh, the other day a breakdown on Twitter um, in Seattle where Geno Smith, they've got five-man protection. It's a basic weak side linebacker pressure, and he takes the hot route. It's a 13-yard gain. Later in the game, the same exact pressure versus the same exact protection, and Drew Locke doesn't see the backside pressure off the will linebacker and he's holding and it's partly because at Missouri he didn't do any of it you know and 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 then he goes in and and it's a you know it's something that he's not getting necessarily taught in the NFL so I think that like you know again young quarterbacks Joe was forced to learn protection in college he was forced to know it at LSU and and handle it and um you know you he learned early on all those cool past concepts don't matter unless I know exactly what's happening on the defensive pressure. And not only that, but I got four seconds to communicate everybody up front knowing it, and then we can go play ball. Yeah, and it's, it feels like those offenses that are a little bit more spread out where the quarterback's operating in shotgun and has that kind of field general aspect to it, those guys, the growth is there. You see the progress from them in that way. They don't run into as many walls. Josh Allen is the same kind of deal. Like he controls everything there. And I just, there's something to that. And it's a little chicken and the egg, right? Like, are these guys doing it because they have the capacity to do it? Or because they've been given the reins, does it grow their capacity? And I don't really know which way that flows all the time. Yeah. It's probably very individualized. And, And you know, another thing too, Robert, like when you're a young quarterback, and you live in that world a little bit, you come to the reality of like, fudge, dude. If I get this crap wrong, I'm going to get my butt kicked. You, you have know? to protect yourself. Yeah. Mommy and daddy can't come and hold your hand on the field. You know, that's a little bit of the play action game, you know, again. And it, we we talked about this. I remember talking about this, maybe not you and I, but with Justin last year in Chicago. It's like, you know, because I thought the, the game plan versus Cleveland was a, an atrocity because everybody was incapable of handling it all. And, um, you know, it's the play action world holds your hand a little bit when it comes to those protections where the alter, uh, alternative is like, let's go touch the stove and learn very quickly. Well, that's the problem is that when you have 
a coaching staff that doesn't really come from that world, it's hard to just jump right back into it. And yeah. that's why those teams that kind of bounce around are interesting. And that's why Getzy being there, I feel like they're going to be able to kind of put those training wheels on him in a way that is maybe limiting in the short term, but I still think is beneficial for him this year just to survive. Yeah. And, and and I would tell you this too, you know, talking talking about Joe in the Cincinnati situation is it's also easier when you got players on the outside that you feel okay about, you know, like that that's part of the two is like, it's not only just can the quarterback handle it. It's like, all right, it, do we have a guy that can win in versus man coverage? Or do we have guys that can do something with the ball? Are those guys smart enough to know like, oh, I'm hot. This is this is the type of hot that I have and, and whatnot. So it's it's not just strictly can we because of the quarterback. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Last guy I wanted to talk about, I think we feel pretty good about him, at least on this show, in some of these situations with the between the ears stuff is Trevor Lawrence. And I I feel better about him taking this step than maybe some of these other guys on the list. But where do you think Trevor Lawrence needs to be better this year based on what you saw last season? Yeah, not only last season, but also preseason week one. Um, I believe that Trevor is such a phenomenal, fundamental talent that sometimes... He's too fundamentally reliant. Um, That's really interesting. I totally see that. You know, simply put, like there's moments where there there's this um, Carson Palmer robotic aspect to him for a guy who's such a freakazoid athlete talent. You know, and I think sometimes it, he it almost like it, it's like watching a person just like strain so hard for perfection um, physically. You know, and um, I just uh, some I want to see and I think Doug's going to pull this out of him a little bit with some of the movement and the RPO game of like, dude, you don't you don't have to get your feet perfectly in a line every single play. And I, I think that's where he makes a big jump. And I would t- say this the second thing, and I've said this a little bit this offseason is how much did you really learn last year of what you can't do in the league? You know, like, cause last year I was Trevor go, 
go figure it out. Like be ultra aggressive, throw 50 interceptions. Like your team's going to stink <laughs> anyway. You're going to have to, you know, figure out what you can do in this league throw wise versus Kurt coverage, whatever. And I, I want to see how much he really learned from that experience. How do you think he fits with Doug just in, based on what you've seen from Peterson offensively and what they were in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think that Jacksonville in 22 looks a lot like Philadelphia did in 17, at least schematically. You know, I, I do believe that it'll be uh, um, very much so a college type of offense, you know, where, you know, it is very RPO based. It is um, quarterback movement based. It is getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. And then on third down, it is going to be, hey, go make a play. Like, it, it, you know, like it, go, go be a physical talent that you are. Um, I don't necessarily, they, they got a lot of these, it's, it's not all that different than Miami. Like they got a lot of these pieces, right? They've got Lavishka, they've got Travis Etienne, they've got Kirk now, it, it, some of these guys that are peace players that they can move around. And that's a lot of what he had in Philadelphia. So I think that we watched, you know, and Trevor also, by the way, was a master running the RPO in college. At that's what they did. Yeah, that's all they did. Um, so I think that there's that good marriage there, that good kind of lateral uh, agreement there. So I I would imagine it looking a lot like Carson Wentz's 2017 Philadelphia season. I remember you and I had a conversation a couple of years ago. We were talking about quarterback development and this idea that some of these guys who've been through these camps and been to these quarterback trainers for 10 years, it was going to lead to a little bit more robotic stylist. Stylistically, it was going to re- lead to more robotic players. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of push and pull of these guys who are more fluid athletes based on some of these guys who've done it forever. Going back to Josh Allen, I almost feel like Josh Allen never doing that shit and never being a full-time 100%. quarterback his entire life has been a benefit for, for him in that way because he moves, he is so fluid and twitchy. There is yep. nothing robotic about the way he plays to the point that I was talking to Joe Brady about this last week. I found it so interesting. There's less defined footwork within the Buffalo offense. It's for a lot of different reasons. They let their receivers read certain things and a yep. lot of that, but there are elements of the footwork of their offense where Case Keenum came in and he was like, wait, I can do that? It doesn't have to be the same every single time. And leaning into that kind of fluidity at the position, I feel like is a really good way to get the most out of some of these athletes. I think Trevor is uh, Trevor and Josh are very similar when it comes to like their physical makeup and their athletic ability. But one is the guy that, you know, played pickup for basically his whole life and one the guy that has had that private training for a long Patrick was the same way I used to say this about Patrick the beauty was it seemed like his parents never got him to private teaching because it yeah. was it was often like hey this dude's in the backyard you know when there's that there's that kind of that uncaged beauty uh, or, or out of the cage beauty so yeah I, and I don't know how because the, the the devil's advocate conversation Robert is like well why would I not want to be fundamentally sound you know like because when we well, sometimes we'll sit here and be like, well, this guy's got to be fundamentally better. But, you know, the guy who I, you know, is an interesting person to talk about in relation is Mac Jones. Like Mac's really fundamentally sound, but he's but that's also how he has player. to win. It's all he has. Yeah, but he but he he also, he does have a little bit of like this, like this loose, fluid part to his game where it isn't just so, you know, copy and paste and. 
you know, I think that, you know, again, I'm a huge Trevor fan, but, you know, the ability to take, you know, drills are great and, and, and they're necessary. But football is, you know, a game that is very much so non-coordinated. And I think the more that he's given the freedom to do that, the encouragement to do that, the weight off my shoulders to do that in a way, and knowing like, all right, it's not needed. Like, I think he becomes a more consistent high-end player. Could you build that into the offense? Just to like those, those plays that are a little bit less structured, like getting him out of the pocket, things like that. Is that how you do it? Yeah, movement, RPO. Like I think they're, they're and and I would be, you know, like if I if I could crystal ball, watch the early parts of their games. You know, the early parts of their games are going to be you're going to see quarterback getting on the move a ton. You're going to see the changing of the launch point. You're going to see the RPO. You'll see the quarterback run game utilized a little bit just to get him into that flow and that that mindset of it. You know, because um, I also would tell you this: I don't know how much. They want progression-based pass concepts in their offense. Because, like, if you go watch preseason game one, he misses two balls over the field high that because he's getting to number three. And you watch him, dude. It's like watching it's like watching a, a, a boxer, so to speak. Like, he goes one, feet are perfect. Two, feet are perfect. Three, it looks like he's perfectly in position. And it's just the – it's like this desire to do everything by the paper or by the, 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 the drawing, you know, I think getting him to be a little bit more, um, you know, structured with his, um, Hey, versus cover one, the ball goes here versus cover two. We're reading high, low versus cover three. We're inside out. I think it will allow a little bit more of like the, the freedom in his physical talent. I just like the tension out of his shoulders a little bit. It, it's really no funny, but that, when you no. watch these guys, like Josh Allen is loose. Like you watch him move around. Champ. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. And I, I think that I've really come to appreciate that more when you watch a guy and cause arm strength looks and feels different, right? Physical talent manifests differently with each of these individual guys. And that's the thing about Josh Allen. It's just so wild is that it, there is that springiness to everything about him and what that yeah. allows you to be offensively. You see it, you feel it. Yeah. And, and he, he like, there's, there's the, you know, when we were talking about um, uh, maybe it was Jalen and, and the lack of maybe twitchiness, you know, physically, Josh is that sudden flick of the wrist, snap of a ball coming out of my hand type of player. Trevor, it really isn't that guy. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I taught, I said the name before Carson. I remember Carson being, when, when I watched Carson as a young player, I was like, yo, that dude's created in a lab. Like he yeah, is. He's a statue. He's just, he is like a, Yes. Yeah, you know, when to, everything looks perfect all the time, and uh, I think that he grew into that a little bit more of the um, the loose as- athletic aspect of his game, and Trevor's got to get there. I think Doug pulls it out of him. Awesome. That's all I got. What a fantastic, fun conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know you got 10 million things going on. So No, dude, I mean, very much. I love it. Thank you. Really good to chat with you. Really good to catch up with you. We will 100% do this again at some point. Good deal, bud. Be well. All right, it's time now to chat with one of our illustrious Bengals writers here at The Athletic, Paul Danner Jr. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. You know, last time we sat here like this, we were uh, at Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Yeah, yes. And uh, I, it was one of my favorite conversations of all last year. I really enjoyed it. And uh, 
now it's just training camp and we're just it's like back at square one, you know. Well, not really. I mean, this team is went to the Super Bowl last They're year. Square and one and a half. It's yeah. extremely different. It feels <laughs> like. I mean, I remember when we we're sitting here the last time we had this conversation during camp. We had it up in the press box of yeah. the stadium because there were still COVID protocols and we weren't allowed in the building. And we were sitting there kind of wondering, like, yeah, you know, we spent all this money on defense. Are they really that good? And you know, Burrow's coming back, and the offenses look like shit all of training camp. Yep. And then he becomes pretty quickly one of the best quarterbacks and players in football. Jamar Chase, who couldn't catch the ball the last time you and I had a conversation mm-hmm. in this building, went on to become one of the most electric players in the entire league. And the entire dynamic of the Bengals organization shifted over a five-month period. Yeah, surreal. Still surreal, honestly. I mean, the stuff that goes on, you know, you you were today out at the – Kettering Health practice fields outside Paycor Stadium near the Alta Fiber. I forgot about gate. Paycor Stadium. Yeah. Oh be, my God. All of that sold within the last couple of months. You know, they, 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 I mean, this just, it's been a business boom of, everybody wants a piece. I mean, this, this team, they had 28,000 people at the back together Saturday practice in the stadium. They, I know. There were games in the Zach, beginning of the Zach Taylor era, the end of Marvin Lewis era, where there were not that many butts in the seats on Sundays. Uh, they went from the lowest point ever in their season ticket base to now a waiting list, the absolute bell of the ball in the city, a, a connection with the city that we've never seen before, and uh, and they're you know rolling in money and putting it stashing it away in their pockets for escrow in the future knowing exactly it's you know going to be uh all joe burrows before we're gone too far speaking of money (laughs) earlier today before we started recording this derwin james signed a four-year 76.4 million dollar extension averaging 19.1 a year i want to quickly talk about that because it relates to something that is currently going on in this building not surprising that he would reset the market uh he is an incredibly important player to what the Chargers are. The Chargers are in their window right now, trying to throw some money around and get the best players they can on the field. I It's interesting to me that we're now at a place where I think the highest paid corner in the league makes $21 million, and now the highest paid safety makes 19.4. That gap has shrunk. And when you think about the way that Derwin has used, he played 100 slot snaps last year. They use him all over the place. He's more than just a safety. And I feel like that position is rising in prominence because the way those guys are used and that extends to what's going on with Jesse Bates right now, who probably wants a contract in that similar range because of how he's used by this team. Yeah. I mean, that gap that was, has closed is the gap that kept the Bengals from signing Jesse Bates. I mean, the Bengals were willing to pay him, you know, 14, 15, per year with low guarantees because that's their thing. They're not going to do a bunch of guarantees. They're going to front. No matter how many pay core stadiums there are. It doesn't matter. Well, I think it will change for one person, but that'll be about it. Uh, Maybe two. We'll get to that. But I mean, you know, you talk about like that just not, they weren't willing to go there with Jesse and they drafted Dax Hill who maybe Dax Hill is there. You know, he is much more of, if you're talking about a Derwin James type in the way that you can deploy him to different places on the field, that's his eventual skill set as he grows into it. Right now, they're just trying to, they're loving that he's getting every rep as the number one safety in place of Bates, who hasn't shown up except for in the suite at the preseason game uh, this past weekend, uh, oddly. It's a weird one. It feels like he has something better to do. Yeah, I you would think so. It, it, and then 
putting it out there on Instagram on purpose. Uh, it, it was a, it was a weird turn for what, you know, I think everyone understands what it is. Like you're going to come back, you're going to play, you're going to collect $13 million and then you're going to hit the free agent market next year. You're going to make a boatload of money. A lot of it guaranteed somewhere else. Like yeah. that's where this ends up. And every, I think both sides had played their cards already on that. Like it was kind of decided. And, um, but this, it just kind of dr- has dragged on a little bit and been a little bit circusy of late. Um, but you know, they would have loved to got it done, but they weren't going to go. This was no where the safety market went. The Bengals checked off two stops back. They weren't willing to go there uh, because they have other more important positions that are going to be on their radar very soon. And that's where we are with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. The fact that Joe Burrow's contract is going to be astronomical. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're at a place now where they have two guys that they know are going to reset the market at their positions at some point down the road. Joe Burrow sooner than Jamar Chase. And you're marking that, I think, is probably something that's in their minds. I will say, they could probably afford Jesse Bates for two years before they had to pay other of those guys. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that, you know, they are, they're not going to change their philosophy. They're not going to be different in the way they structure contracts are not going to be different in the way they value players they've they've always done this you know katie blackburn has not gotten probably enough credit for the way that she has always kept the Bengals roster flexible yeah she wants from year to year to be able to pay who they need to pay go into free agency if they need to extend if they need to buy keeping the guarantees down to a minimum. And the thing is, you have these occasional fights that happen. They do, and they're prominent. And the Bengals, people like to clown the Bengals for it. And I don't disagree with it to a certain extent. Excuse me. However, you know, they sign a lot of people, though. They sign plenty of people, and they get them under the structures they want, and they get flexibility under the cap and and flexibility with their money to be able to have it where they feel like they can always make whatever moves they want to make every year because the league changes so much, and that's a, a tenant of the way they do things. And so they're not going to change that because Jesse Bates wants a lot of guaranteed money, and they're just going to draft Dax Hill and, and Tyson Anderson in the fifth round, another safety, and move forward and – be happy to have Jesse back to come play this year. But for now, you know, that's just part of who they are. Now, that might change for Burrow. I think you can make the exception for the quarterback and still stand by your guns with everybody else uh, because it's such a different, such an anomaly. But, you know, they feel like that's always going to be important to the way they operate around here. Maybe to their detriment sometimes, but for the most part, they feel like it pays off. Quarterback is very good. Today was his first practice back. I was lucky enough to be here for his first 11-on-11 work, at least, Yeah. Uh, since having his appendectomy. He looked like Joe Burrow. There was a couple just like absolutely gorgeous deep shots to Jamar Chase. I mean, we know that about this team at this point. We know the personnel is going to be a collection of young offensive talent that can keep them in games. The question was always going to be what the offensive line looked like this year. They went out and signed Lyle Collins. They signed Alex Kappa. They signed Ted Karras. The left guard situation is really like the biggest question your day to day. I'm sure it's the thing that you get. You guys are watching who's with the ones. Bengals you're fans, watching who's Bengals playing fans well. Are grinding every rep. Uh, they want to know about every rep of fourth round pick Cordell Volson. Uh, how many times Jackson Carmen screwed up in the last game, and and you know, and so yeah, that's that's the it's the one spot. I mean, look, I, I thought they played that massive problem as well as you could play it in 
understanding the, you know, be average, no weak links. And at a certain point, you have to bet on development. I mean, they drafted a guy in the second round. They drafted a guy in the fourth round. They drafted another guy, Deontay Smith, in the fourth round last year. They drafted a guy in the sixth round last year, Trey Hill, who's a guard center. I mean, at a certain point in this league, you can't pay everybody, and you do have to have guys that develop in in spots. They, they need that out of one spot, not two, not three right now. And so they went, they spread it across and focused on getting three solid players and not overspending on one great one or two really good ones so that they could be solid across the line because it's all Burrow needs for the most part when you have those weapons. So uh, we'll see how the battle plays out. But I, I it does seem like you should have, their line should be at a level where you're just going to have such a higher percentage of clean pockets, you know, whatever that ends up being, 12% more uh, opportunities for Burrow to throw a deep ball to chase rather than have to check it down or spike it into the ground. I mean, over the course of a year, it's huge. Well, I think that when you're thinking about, all right, where does this offense need to go based on what defenses are going to do to them? Those easy answers, those it's single high, fuck it, Jamar's down, Jamar's down there somewhere. <laughs> that's not going to happen anymore. Like it's yeah. just teams are not going to give them no. the answers to the test before it starts because they know he's going to take it every single time. You're going to see... I think a lot more of those situations where they're putting a roof over them and they're saying, we dare you to beat us with 10, 12 play drives. And that's something that a lot of offenses around the league have had to adjust to. And the way they adjust to that to me is going to be the biggest question about them that doesn't relate to their offensive line personnel. And you saw, I don't know how specific I can get with the things they did today, but they're going to find some layups to Jamar Chase within the structure of this offense. And I think that combined with, you want to play those shells? We'll run it. And that when you have the offensive line improvements that they do, I think those are the kind of the two pillars of how they could potentially be different on offense this year. And then the third one is if we're not going to get those easy looks where we can attack outside the numbers against one-on-one coverage, how do we find explosive down the field plays? Those have to be longer developing plays. Those are not going to be instantaneous decisions and throws. And in order to access that, you need better protection up front. So it all makes sense as a plan. We'll see what happens when it all has to come together. Yeah, it's going to be curious. I, you know, I wrote about um, the evolution of Jamar Chase, and it's really the evolution of this offense because it's you know so so many of these offenses. What do you do with your number one guy when you have him? And last year, you know, this time you mentioned last time <laughs> we were talking about stripes on the football and drops and and oh, is he a bust? Should they have taken Sewell? Right? I mean, that was the conversation it's at amazing. that what time. Happens it's amazing. Year. And then he ends up having you know, one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen by a receiver and midway. So they weren't trying to put too much on his plate early last year. It's the same thing they would Joe. It's you, you have him come in. It's like, we're going to play empty. We're going to let you do your shit because we want you to be comfortable yeah. early. And they then grow the it. Same thing with the first half of the year with Chase. Yeah. And so, and so you see that and he obviously blows up and he went from just catching nothing but deep balls to all of a sudden he's catching underneath catch and run stuff. You know, like the 82 yarder against Baltimore has famously been replayed a bunch and the chiefs game where he runs away from the entire defense uh, on a quick comeback. I mean, that type of stuff, you know, started was obvious, but they really waited. They didn't really start utilizing him up and down the formation until the end of the season. Yes. So the first 12 weeks of the season, his slot percentage was 11%. The last nine all the way to the Super Bowl, it was up at 22%. His actual slot 
target percentage. So of those snaps, he doubled the percentage of times that Burrow was looking for him just of those snaps. That was the tip of the iceberg with Jamar Chase was what they did those last nine games. And so they feel like they had all offseason. They brainstormed. They concocted new ways to work him in so that every time the defense is looking at the Bengals offense saying, well, where's Chase? Where's number one? And everything can then play off of that. And you get so much more of the quick hit stuff to Chase running out of slot against a linebacker in the Super Bowl, you know, creating separation. I mean, that type of stuff, you feel like you can get that every week and that can help those 10 to 12 play drives be five to seven play drives because of his catch and run ability and because of the mismatches you can create, not just for him, but for Tyler Boyd and for T Higgins off of that. He's such a cool player in that when I was talking to people today about, well, where did you look for ideas everywhere? Yeah. Because the way that Devonte gets used, the way that Debo gets used, the way that Cooper cup gets used, he could do all that shit. Justin Jefferson. So yeah, absolutely. There's, there's nothing that's off the table for the ways that they can deploy him because of, the, his body type, the way he moves, he can run choice routes. It's not he can do everything, and that's what's so cool about. That's him. the crazy thing about his rookie season last year. Of all of the dudes that had at least eighty receptions and a thousand yards last year, there were twenty eight of them. He was third from the bottom in slot percentage. Yeah. That's not who he is. He is a do everything anywhere guy. He will be up in the middle. They're going to use him so he's going to be such a more dynamic player uh, just because he can be now. They're not going to hold him back for the first, you know, three quarters of the season. And so, yeah, because he can do things. Zach Taylor told me, he said, look, if we didn't have Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase could be Cooper Cup. Yeah. Like you could play, he could be one of the best slot receivers in football without question. That is the type of player that he is. We don't need him to be that because you have Tyler Boyd. And so you can do it and, and treat him as a kind of a chess piece. So it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how his role evolves this year, how much they start moving him around even more, and what that ends up doing for defenses that, as you said, are just going to be trying to put a roof on the top. Really feels like the only thing with Joe. When it comes to improvement and areas where he has to get better, just eating too many sacks last year and eating too many sacks in bad situations and just kind of make him live within himself a little bit more. I feel like that has to be the conversation that they had with him this offseason. Other than that, really not a huge need to spend a lot of time on him. Like he's no. one of the best five quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. I mean, the big thing was, and I think where his lack of comfort came from, and this was part of their offseason conversation when they plotted how to go forward, was he feels like he can handle pressure off the edges. Yeah. You know, he can step up. His pocket presence is amongst the best in the league. He he can get at squirt out of there and make a lot of plays. He can see that. And they can scheme that. The problem was in the Tennessee game was example 1A and obviously the Super Bowl. But when it comes right up the middle, he has nowhere to go. It eliminates his superpower of pocket presence and, and ability to work back there. And, it, and he just ends up you know, going into a fetal tuck, unable to get away. And that's why it was so important for them. They've never paid a guard ever, like ever, ever. <laughs> they have never valued the position. They have never cared about it. They have never paid it. And they went out on day one of free agency and paid Alex Kappa to come play guard and Ted Karras as a center guard combo who's going to play center here but could move over to you in a heartbeat. Like, that's, that is so out of character because Joe Burrow is saying secure my middle 
and and let me work. I can deal with edge issues, but secure my middle and 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 I can tear it up. And I think that's kind of the the eating sacks portion of the program is. I think that's the re- that's why they think it'll happen a lot less because he'll be able to work it a little bit easier. On defense, the little tiny tweaks, you know, personnel wise. I think the dropping the Dax Hill into this, I'm going to be fascinated by him, Bell, Bates on the field together. Yeah, and I think they will do that. I think you'll see a decent amount of that because it gets them the most athletes possible. And the amount of fl- I loved, I went back and rewatched a couple of those games before getting here today. When going back and rewatching the Chiefs game, going back and rewatching some other defensive things they did during the playoffs. The specificity of the game plans, the flexibility they had on the back end, it's really cool to watch. That team is so much better coached on defense than I expected them to be coming into the season based on kind of how unremarkable they had been at times over the previous couple of years of this regime. So now you have a little bit more flexibility on the back end, and you have guys like Joseph Osai dropped in here who didn't play last year. It just feels like the plan on defense is similar to what it was a year ago with a tiny bit more leeway and a little bit more juice, if I could kind of pin it down. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, they made a real focus in the next wave of players they're trying to bring in here uh, on on adding to that versatility. They felt like they have so much of it already back there, and, and they really were able to weaponize it, particularly in the playoffs, to, to befuddle teams and cause turnovers. And, and they're just Dax Hill is a perfect example of that. But, you know, people don't realize – I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Being so close to it, it's obvious to us. Like, this defense was really good last year during the year. They were eighth in the league in points allowed per drive, um, and then they took it to another level in the playoffs with all the turnovers. And I think people were quick to that didn't pay much attention to the Bengals to the end to pinpoint them as you know turnover lucky in the playoffs. And that was a defense that made plays all year, all year. And Chidabay Wuze was one of the most underrated players in football is a legit well, certainly last year was a legit number one and outside of one injury riddled season in Dallas has played at a really high level and took it to another one here and they just really found a fit there and Trey Hendrickson and DJ Reader and BJ Hill and Sam I mean these are all guys that were all productive in their own right this is not something that just happened by luck and they're all back you have this continuity yeah. it's they didn't lose anything they didn't lose anything Larry Joby, who they replaced with BJ Hill for, you know, who BJ Hill, I would argue, actually played better than Larry Ogunjobi last year. And so you're talking about a team that so much is on exotic game plans, versatile skill sets, things that can change from week to week. And now they all are in their second year in the system. They were all new last year. It was a whole free agency spree. So the idea that they're all going to have a better, better feel for the game plan, I think people are really underrating how good this Bengals defense can really be. Because when you think about them, you don't think about them. Do you think about Burrow and Higgins and Boyd and Chase? And, and that's totally understandable from, you know, a 30,000-foot view. For, but from a, inside the building, the defense is what carried him to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And the defense can legitimately be really good. I mean, would it be crazy to say bringing everybody back and adding some young pieces that they couldn't go from eighth in points per drive to fourth? It's not. It's it's really not. I the only thing I worry about is just Sam Hubbard's a fine player. It's just the the amount of like pass rush juice they have up front mm-hmm. and how creative they'll get in manufacturing pressure, not necessarily blitzing, just the ways that they're going to be creative up front. I think that 
They did some of this stuff last year with those simulated pressures and fire zones that Tennessee did really well. How much of that is incorporated into the game plan? And I have a lot of faith in the staff to do that, to say like, all right, what are the interesting ideas around the league? How do we incorporate that into what we do? Because they have smart, versatile players and they can deploy them in any way that they feel like is appropriate for the game that they're playing and the team that they're playing. And there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. That, the only and the only the other question that I have is what does the second corner situation look like? Yeah. Like Eli Apple is Eli Apple's fine, but you know the guy they drafted in the second round is that something where by the end of the season their best five six defensive backs don't include Eli Apple? I think that would probably be a good outcome for them. Yeah, and I don't think it's a likely one. I mean, you you Cam Taylor Britt out of Nebraska, you know, it's a really underrated storyline here has been he had a core muscle injury that's basically wiped out his entire yeah, preseason. That's brutal. Yeah, so, I mean, that's un, it. Feels almost unrecoverable. It's different when you're, uh, you know, you're a Derek Stingley type, you know, you're a freak and you can just step in and play. I mean, this is a guy that the chances of him succeeding as a dude picked in at pick 60 is not super in rear one anyway. Now you take away all his preseason reps. There's there was supposed to be a competition with Eli Apple that's non-existent now. And it feels like you're where are those going to come from? You're, you're never going to really have a chance to unseat him unless Apple gets hurt or starts playing truly terribly. Apple has played played he's fine. Been fine he's yeah. like he's played at the level he was at last year which was the best of his career and totally out of nowhere uh i certainly at this point last year did not think he was going to be a factor uh, or any good at all and he and he was more than good enough for them to have have a, a decent group so yeah i'm with you i mean it's clearly the spot the teams are going to try to attack um but you know if you have an okay second corner as your biggest worry i think they feel pretty good about that same conversation we had about the left guard like yeah, this is right. we're at a place now where this team is at the table and yeah. that is a very different place than they were at this time last year and it's fun i mean when you have a core like that and even like burrow getting back today and talking to you guys and just it feels different here and it should feel different here because you know you have the guy and you have a couple other pieces on offense that are elite or borderline elite and people like T Higgins. It's like, let's fucking go. Yeah. They have, they've just, they've drafted so well. They've made so many. I mean, you just don't see teams hit in free agency. They're throwing they 95 miles an hour in free agency over the last two years. It's, the it's, only it's, screw up is Trey Waynes. That's it. That's it. And they're, and they can, they could afford three Trey Waynes is because they have the borough contract and hitting on so many of them, you know, it's it's wild. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And, it, and it's even wilder when you consider that they just never participated in the past. They they never really decided that free agency was their thing. You know, credit to the mesh between Zach Taylor and his staff and the scouting staff, Duke Tobin and his team here, because you can name them all in three seconds if you want to. Uh, I can. There's six of them. I mean, yeah, I've re- I wrote extensively about this before the Super Bowl because it's really it remar- it's a big deal. When I say that, it's not like who cares about the coaches and the staff. Well, here the coaches are a big part of the scouting. They actually people not, might not realize this, but the Bengals actually pushed back their entire offseason program. One, because they played the longest season in NFL history and they were playing in mid-February. But two, they wanted to give their coaches a chance to spend all of the month leading up to the draft, focused solely on the draft because they are in the room a major part of it and their mesh with the scouts is a major part of their job because they want to draft guys that the coaches want and know what they're getting they want there to be synergy between those two sides it's a big deal to them their scouting staff is small but they use their coaches to take place of other teams that have bigger scouts so they just didn't 
do the OTAs. They didn't have any offseason program until May. And they only had six OTAs and they barely did anything in those. They basically took the offseason off. But it was be- that beginning part was all because they wanted the coaches to focus more on the draft. And it's been working. You know, it's been working with this staff coming in. They've had a real nice ability to draft and find free agents that fit what the coaches specifically want. It took them some time. They had to weed out those that were still here and things. But, you know, you saw it come together last year, and I think they had another nice cycle of it this year. Bengals optimism. A lot of it going around, my man. It's, it's weird. I'm It's still – I'm uncomfortable. Like, I, I've always uh, – people called me Paul Downer Jr. around here for a while. Just, <laughs> just, just, just because it was always like – it was – that was the point. Like you had to be, and for so long, and so I'm still kind of weird, you know, talking about how good things are going. It's still kind of uncomfortable, but you know, it's it's hard to deny it at this point. I mean, the proof it was was in the pudding last year, and when you got the quarterback, you got a chance, and they're going to have the quarterback for however many years he decides to sign for, and a quarterback with the bullshit fairy dust that he seems to right. It's just like a yeah. little bit different in a way that it's hard not to appreciate. He's perfect for here. He doesn't want the big spotlight. He doesn't want the big market he he loves the he likes football and he doesn't want you know despite you know everybody wanting to talk about his fits and his glasses and his jackets and things like that like it's not who he is he's just kind of uh doesn't really like any you can like loud clothes and not want to be a super famous to- person totally yeah, agree. those two things are not mutually exclusive totally agree and he has an he has this entire building uh you know on total lockdown man like he drives the bus and everybody follows his lead and so uh it, there's no denying it in and, and the Bengals, you know as long as mike brown has been around here you can say a lot of things about him he's always paid quarterbacks and he's always paid them early he paid carson palmer at the first possible second he could after it went after they drafted him the the day the 2005 season ended um the regular season ended and then he paid Andy Dalton early um, and gave him $96 million right before his 2015 breakout season. Like Mike loves quarterbacks and he has never had a problem paying them. So prepare for the number that you see come to Joe Burrow because he's never had one quite like this and he knows it and he's more than happy to pay it to him. And that thing is, is definitely coming. He called it. We see the train coming down the tracks. He said that before the, uh, the, the media lunch and before camp. And, and that's because he's more than happy to hop on that train and see how far it'll take him. Congrats, Joe Burrow. Happy for him. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, you know, all the charities that he supports, that are about to get loaded up. Paul the Jr., always so good to see you, my friend. Really appreciate the time. Always fun to chat. We'll do this again soon. Talk to you later. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to Dan. Thank you to Paul. Really enjoyed those conversations. Hope you guys did as well. We will be back tomorrow with me and my buddy Nate Tice. Really looking forward to catching up with Nate. Until then, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic where you can read Paul's work and all of the work of our team writers, theathletic.com slash football show. If you do not have a subscription, now is the time. You have a fantasy draft in like two days. I know you do. If you want up-to-date camp info, who's looked good, who hasn't, who's in, who's out, this is the place to get it, athletic.com slash football show. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.